Church of the date, the 3rd of November, revival appeared at City View. Praise God. Okay, we're going to, I am pumped. I am so ready to preach this morning. I hope you are ready to be preached at. So, yes, let's get going. Where's all this energy coming from? I'm 56 for crying out loud. All right. Um, as uh, I, you're over there, you're over there. Oh, great! You're normally over there. It's great to see you, <laughs> Joylin. It's wonderful. You're confusing me. Uh, as uh, who said earlier? Laura said earlier. There are rooms in this building that uh, you may never have entered into. The attic room. That we have an attic room where all the little church mice go to play. <laughs> the finance room where our bookkeeper and Suzanne and all our counters go to play. Which is down under there somewhere. And the big storage room where it seems that the world and his dog goes to play. At the back of the, the church downstairs. But perhaps one of the least visited and yet most important rooms is behind this door. It's a dark room. It's a very, it was a very messy room. It was a room where most unwanted, discarded things are thrown. Old wood, old paint, old pastors, all end up in this darkened room. That one. But, look at it now. Shout out to Tanya, Andre, Warren, Xavier, Kirsten, Nicholas, Arlene, Laupi, and your aged pastor for doing that. Fantastic. Now you might think that this room holds no importance whatsoever. It's a junk room, Trevor. No. It contains some vital, essential elements for the running of this church. For example, there's the fuse box. So when everything goes out, everyone says, Ah! River! I go downstairs and uh, flip the switch. Fuse box. It also hosts and holds the fire alarm panel that costs thousands to put in because we needed it. It's important, and perhaps most importantly, it contains these, these two old boilers. <laughs> How did that one get in there? Not those two old boilers, these two old boilers. These furnaces help keep us warm on those cold winter mornings and winter evenings. 
This room provides the heat for the church. Or does it? In one way, yes. But here's a question to ponder. What really heats the church? This morning, we, are, we have a lull. A lull before the storm as we make our way through the book of 1 Timothy. Next Sunday and the next few Sundays after that, we'll have a lot of fun. But it may be a bit bumpy in places. So over the next few weeks, come and with your seatbelts and buckle up. Because there may be some turbulence. If you don't know what I'm talking about, can I suggest that you read the rest of chapter 2? And then you'll find out. I'm looking forward to it. I'm really, we're going to have so much fun with it. I'm going to upset everyone yeah. in the next few weeks. So that's going to be good. Um, but this morning we're in tranquil waters. No need for life jackets. But nevertheless, what we're going to look at, although not as controversial, is as vital to the spiritual health of us as individuals and the spiritual health of us as a church community. Vital. And what I believe God is wanting to say to us this morning, we, we need to understand, we need to grasp in our heart, and we need to put it into practice. We need to earth it. We need to uh, put it into our feet and, and um, put it into practice. If we are to do church well, and if we are to be church well uh, because actually it's this that heats the church you'll remember that Paul is writing this letter to Timothy who's in this church in Ephesus trying to sort out a load of problems and these uh, people they're within the community they're stirring things up they're saying things that they shouldn't say they're teaching things that they shouldn't they're spreading conspiracy theories and the church is in a mess. Timothy, the pastor of this church, does not want to stay in this church. But Paul, his old mentor, is writing to him, encouraging him to stay. And basically the letter is giving Timothy some instructions of how to get the church focused once more on the main thing. Because the main thing needs to be the main thing, the main thing of the main thing, which is love God and love people. And Paul, in the passage we're going to read this morning, tells Timothy where to start. Before the church does anything else, there's one thing, Paul says, that must be done. One thing that will heat the church. Let's read about it. It's in uh, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2 now, and we're just going to read seven verses. If you want to follow it along with me. Uh, this is Paul writing to Timothy. Paul says, I urge, urge, we'll talk about urge in a minute, urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, 
that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men and women to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there's one God, one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm, I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. And a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. Seven verses. It's a good job there's only seven, because I don't know how to get through anymore. Seven verses. There's a lot in these seven verses. And what I, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to uh, go through the verses and pick out some pointers as to how we as a church can turn the heat up without using the furnace and save money. Where's our treasurer? Where's our treasurer gone? He's run out the door. <laughs> That's what we're doing. It's going to be a win-win. We're going to save money and we're going to heat the church today. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, verse 1. Look at verse 1. It says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. First things first. Pray. 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 The church is called to be a people of prayer. Before we preach, before we work, before we serve, before we sing songs, before we have fellowship, before we have fun, before we reach out to the community, before we go on mission trips, before we clean our teeth, before we wash our faces, before we do anything at all in the church, Paul says, pray. 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 Not second or third, but first of all. Paul's saying, Timothy, I know the church is in a mess. I know. You've got 101 things to do on your to-do list. You've got people to meet over coffee. You've got to organize the worship team for this Sunday. You've, you've got to stop the fighting going on at the men's breakfast. You've got the women's meeting. Blimey, that needs sorting out, Timothy, big time. But um, I know you've got that to do. You've got to prepare your sermon. You've got to go to Superstore and buy the, the, the stuff for uh, the meal you're going to cook on Sunday. I know you've got all that to do, Timothy. But first, get on your knees. Pray. Pray. The word urge that Paul uses here, it's an incredibly strong word. It, uh, it doesn't mean I'm asking you nicely. It, it's not, you know, Timothy, if it's all right with you, you know, would you do that first for me? That'd be lovely. Thank you. No, it's not, it, it's not, I, you know what, Timothy, I'm going to make a suggestion to you. Would you do this first? You know, or, you know, that, no. It's a pleading that basically comes out from the very soul of your being. It's like a front. It's an urge. You desperately, desperately want it. I was trying to think of an example, and all I could think about was when I used to go to Toys R Us with the kids. 
never go to Toys R Us with your kids. Because you're walking around Toys R Us and what are they doing? Say, I want that, I want that, I want that! I want that! Dad, will you give me that? Seriously, I'll be really, really, really good. I'll clean my room. I won't ask for anything ever again if you give me that. <laughs> we, we've been there. I know we've been there. But that's Paul here. That's what it means. He's desperate that Timothy prays and gets the church praying first. Why? Why? Because Paul knows that nothing that he's going to say or write that follows about to help Timothy and the church, it will be worth diddly squat if they don't pray first. It's, it's a prayer that will ultimately fix the church. It's prayer that will focus the church. It's prayer that will heat the church. It's prayer that's going to fire up the people. It's prayer that's going to light the furnace of the church. And Paul describes in the very first verse, he says there's four types of prayer that the church should be engaged in so they don't have to turn on the finance. The finance. The fi furnace. <laughs> and the finance. These are the things we have to do. He says petitions, first of all. Basically, sharing our needs and the needs of others with God. That's what it basically means. In Philippians 4, 6, it says this. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in most situations, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God. No, it doesn't. Every, every situation, offer up all our requests and needs in every situation. You see, sometimes we think that God's only interested in the big things. You know, world peace. We've got to pray for world peace. We've got to pray for world poverty. Uh, and yeah, of course, he's interested in that. But like any father, he just wants to hear from us. Doesn't he? You know, about the little stuff that concerns us. Bethany calls me every week. On her way to, to college on a Tuesday, she'll call me up. She's in Holland. Uh, she'll call me up on FaceTime or whatever. And uh, we just chat. We just chat about anything and everything. Now, how awful it would be if I just went to Bethany and every time she called up said, Oh, hello, Bethany. So, what are you going to do for your future? <laughs> Have you got your pension sorted out? You know, all that big stuff. You know, what about marriage and housing and all of that? She's going to think, I'm not going to phone dad anymore. No, we just talk about anything and everything. That's a shout out to Bethany because she does say that she listens to my uh, sermons. Well, she says that. So this would be a great test, I'll ask her. <laughs> so what did I say about you in my last sermon, Bethany? Uh, uh, <laughs> but God is interested in the little things. The car breaks down. Phone BCAA, but pray to God first. The kids are sick. My mum's going into a care home. Big exam coming out, up. 
Aunt Mabel's coming for dinner and we don't like Aunt Mabel. There's no Aunt Mabel here, are there? Okay. <laughs> but our God is a God of the everyday. Not just of the big, of the little as well. So we bring all of our needs in every situation. And we also need to be ready and willing to pray for the needs of others. Maybe others who don't know Jesus. I, you know, I know a lot of us have a hard time sharing our faith. I, I do. Once people know I'm a pastor, they think, oh my goodness, I've got to get away from this man. Because he's going to share his faith. <laughs> I'm going to put that picture back up again. And we don't want to be too forceful. Of course we don't. But I tell you what, most people, even if they're not Christians, but they have a need or a concern, will be happy for you to pray for them. They will. I've had so many opportunities to do that. You know, just, just say, you know, okay, I'm sharing something. Do you mind if I pray for you? Or if that's really awkward, say, do you mind, you know, I... I'd like to pray for you later if you don't want to do it there and then. Let them know. Let them know. Uh, was it a week ago? Heather's memorial. Len's um, brother and sister-in-law were here. Their son, Hugo, who is about three now, uh, was born with a, a, a heart defect. Really bad. It means he has to go to hospital almost every week. And it's awful. Heather told us about this when he was born. And as a life group, we prayed for them. And uh, I can still continue to pray for them. At the memorial downstairs afterwards, I went up to them and said, I hope you don't mind. But we've been praying for you. And Hugo. Because I know they don't have a faith. And Christine... The, uh, the mum started to well up. She's got tears in her eyes. She said, have you? I said, yeah. I said, is that okay? And she said, yeah. That's wonderful. Someone who doesn't believe in Jesus, probably doesn't believe in prayer, is okay for us to pray. Where are we? Okay, yeah. Uh, second type of prayer was prayers. Okay, this second type is just general prayer. The word used here is more aligned with praise. So it's praise prayers. And it, it re refers to those times when we're just sitting in the presence of God. We're not asking him for anything. We're not doing it. We're just praising God for who he is. Remembering that he's loving, that he's merciful, kind, forgiving, powerful. Some of the songs we sung this morning was just so, I was just so there. This is who our God is. But you know what it also does? It reminds us of who we are. <laughs> we are not God. And so we get that perspective. And it's not just that perspective, it's actually that perspective. God 
the mighty God coming alongside of us. You see, this was one of the problems with the church in Ephesus that we'll see. They'd started out well, that it was growing, people coming to know the Lord, but then the focus shifted from God to the people. And the people start all of a sudden, they were the reason why the church was going so well. Because we do church so well here in Ephesus. We have wonderful teachers, and it's all just wonderful. They had taken their eyes off God. And, and Paul's saying, Timothy, you, you've got to tell the church to get back on their knees and remind them who God is and who they are. They say that pride comes before a fall. And the, do you know the reason why they say that? Because it does. <laughs> it does. Once we get prideful and we take our eyes off Jesus and think, oh, it's all about City View. It's all about what we do here. Then we fall. It's a bit like I remember my first skiing lesson. It was in Europe. And uh, I had this, uh, it was a German ski instructor. I like Germans. That's okay. <laughs> but he was, he was really, <laughs> really bossy. He was really bossy. Anyway, so we're meant to be in this line, you know, snaking down the mountain. And I was at the back of the line. And I thought, oh, this is good. I'm doing this all right. I'm following the instructor. And here we go. I'm, ooh, wonderful. And then all of a sudden I think, you know what? I can do this. This is great. So I decided instead of doing that, I thought I'm going to go down straight. And so I started, I went flying past the group, flying past the instructor. And he was saying, Therefore, control yourself. I said, I can't. And I fell flat on my face. Why did I fall? Because there was a tree there. Because <laughs> there was a tree there. No. But it was pride. I thought, I can do this. I took my eyes off the instructor. Paul's saying to Timothy in the church in Ephesus, Timothy, praise. Praise God. Praise God. Uh, then he says intercession. Intercession, type of prayer, uh, refers to bold praying on behalf of others. It's basically standing in the gap and, and helping people pray when they can't pray themselves. Maybe because they don't even know. I'm going to come back to that in a minute, so we'll, we'll, we'll get on to that. Uh, thanksgiving. Uh, it's not just that we have needs and other people have needs, but you know what? God does show up <laughs> in our lives, and we have much to be thankful for. And sometimes we're not asking God for anything, but just thanking him. Thanking him for all the things he's done. Do you remember that story in the Gospels of Jesus healing the ten lepers? You remember he healed the ten lepers, and... Uh, and nine of them went off to party. And one of them came back and said, Jesus, thank you for what you've done in my life. We need to be the one, not nine. So Paul tells us that it's prayer that heaps the church. It's the number one priority in this church in Ephesus and in any church. Talking to God about anything for anyone. Talking to God about everything and everyone. For everyone. And then to hammer home the point, Paul goes on to, to give a list of people that you should pray for. 
verse 2. For kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. He says, pray for kings and those in authority. What does that mean? Well, for us it means our leaders. It means our politicians. Civic, provincial, national. You see, as a Christian, we not only have an obligation to vote, we have an obligation to pray for our leaders. And hear this. Pray even for those we didn't vote for. Or would never, ever, in a million years, vote for them. God calls us to pray. And that we disagree violently with them. Let's be honest, it's hard, isn't it, to pray for folk in power who we don't like? I'm not telling you who I voted for. But you know, Justin, I don't like you, hate your policies, go to hell. Can't do that. Can't do that. Okay, let's look a little further south. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Seriously? You want me to pray for this guy? Pray what? Pray that he gets hit by a meteor. Yeah, I do that. <laughs> but stop. Wait a minute. Who, when Paul wrote this letter, who was the authority in charge? It was this guy. The Emperor Nero. Emperor of the Ro Roman Empire. Nero was public enemy number one. This was the guy you would not pray for. You hate this guy. This is the equivalent of us asking the staunchest Democrat to pray for Trump a hundred times over. Why? Why was he the enemy number one for all Christians? Because he was a sick, deranged man. Do you know what he used to do? He used to kill Christians for sport. He used to put them in the Colosseums with gladiators, with no weapons or armor. He would send lions, wild animals, into the Colosseums to rip Christians apart. For fun, when he held a party, he would actually set Christians alight, alive, and use them as human torches to light the way for the guests to come to the palace. <laughs> Pray for that guy? That's what Paul's saying to this church in Ephesus. Why should we pray for him? Why should we pray for these people, people who we have no liking for whatsoever? Well, Paul says in verses 3 to 6, it's good to do that 
And it pleases God to do that, to pray. God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there's one God, one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Paul reminds us that God wants all women and men in this world to be saved. All of them. Every single one of men and women in this world to be saved. Including our leaders and politicians. Not just the good ones, not just the rich ones, not just one from one culture or country. Everyone. God does not just want to save and bless the President of the United States. He wants to save and bless the President of North Korea. He wants to save and bless the President of Russia and Ukraine and the United Kingdom and all over the world. He gave up his life as a ransom for all people. All people. You see, we never know who God might save. We never know whose hearts and lives might be totally transformed by the love of Jesus. Even those we think, you know what, they'll never change. They won't come to faith. So much talk at the moment about Kanye West. I don't know if you've heard it, he's just Kanye West, who's uh, done some crazy things in the past. He's just brought out a gospel album entitled Jesus is King. And people are saying, oh, yeah, but that's not, can't be right. Because look what he's done. He's awful. I don't know. I don't know the man. But shouldn't we be crazy? <laughs> shouldn't we be crazy? That he's confessing that Jesus is king. It's the same with our own boy, Justin. <laughs> the Beebs confesses to follow Jesus. Yeah, now, I don't know him. Seems like a nice lad. But let's praise. Why wouldn't they follow Jesus? <laughs> Why couldn't they follow Jesus? And that is what... Paul is telling us, he's saying pray for everyone, enemies, authorities, non-Christian friends, family, everyone. But I want us to be honest, I like to be honest here, and do you look at someone or know someone, maybe in your family or work colleague and say, there is no way that person will ever become a Christian? You know anyone like that? Oh, yeah. No way that they will ever follow Jesus. You know what? To my shame, I do. I say that. And, I, and yet I've seen Jesus miraculously transform lives in me and in my family. And I know it was because people were praying and didn't give up. If you had known me at school, <laughs> you would never have thought, good boy, Trevor, future pastor. Definite, definite future pastor. Never, never, in a million years, never. A few years ago, I reconnected with an old friend who had found me on Facebook. 
I hadn't heard from him since I left high school. He didn't know anything about what had happened to me. And he messaged me. And the first thing he said was, Blimey, Trev. I notice you're a pastor. <laughs> Never saw that coming. You, a pastor. You who led the smoking gang behind the gym. You who would chase girls. You who used to set desks alight in the chemistry class. <laughs> you, a flipping pastor. He didn't say flipping. You, a flipping pastor. And then at the end of the message, big LOL. You see, I was not one on the verge of becoming a Christian. I was an atheist. I hated the church with a passion. Even when Linda, my then girlfriend, found Jesus at university and changed her life around, I was having none of it. Then Jesus did something extraordinary in my life. But it wasn't after I, when I became a Christian, I, I was visiting Linda at university and I was telling her Christian friends about what had happened to me. And they said, yeah, we knew that would happen. <laughs> I said, how? They said, well, we've been praying for you every week for the past year. I didn't know. Prayer saves and transforms life. My sister, Shirley, love Shirley. She had a particularly troubled childhood. As a teenager, she had anorexia. Those of you who know anorexia, you know how awful a disease it is. It's a physical disease, but it's a psychological disease as well. She was moody, incredibly moody. She became violent. The amount of mirrors that were smashed in our house. And her weight plummeted to 40 pounds when she was 16. Our family was at our wit's end. She spent so much time in hospital, she was quite literally wasting away. During one of her times in hospital, she befriended this girl, who we happened to find out was a Christian. She spent time with my sister, and after a couple of years, she, she invited her to a weekend camp. At that camp, my sister gave her life to Jesus. And it dramatically changed her life. Her weight steadied. She found a job. She found a boyfriend. She eventually got married. She was told during her illness that because the abuse uh, that had happened to her body, that she would never, ever be able to have children. She now has three and a grandchild. <laughs> After she came to faith, my sister found out that the lady who had befriended her in hospital had been praying for my sister each and every day for two years. Prayer saves and transforms life. My dad. When I became a Christian, I started to pray for my dad. I loved him dearly, but he was a very proud man. Never used to take charity for anyone. Didn't need anybody's help. Didn't want to be in debt with anyone. He held strong opinions as well and believed that Christianity was just for weak people. He refused to come to my baptism because he said I was taking religion too seriously. I prayed for him every day. 
And to be honest, when we came to Canada 18 years ago in 2001, I'd given up hope of my dad coming to faith. I continued to pray, but not really believing that it would happen. Within six months of us being here, my mum called me and said they'd started going along to the local church. I said, what? My dad at church? What's he doing there? I thought it would be short-lived. Three years later, I went back to England to witness my mum and dad's confirmation, which in, in the Anglican church is the equivalent of baptism. And I had tears in my eyes as my dad was asked the question, do you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And he said yes. <laughs> it was then that I told him that I'd been praying for him for 20 years. Prayer saves and transforms lives. I know many of you have similar stories. I know you do. I'm praying for Jeff. People here have been, were praying for Jeff for, for years. Look at him now. Can't stop him. <laughs> how wonderful is that? But I saw how the prayers of the faithful changed my life, my sister's life, my dad's life. And yet at times I still doubt. What good does it do? But here's the thing. You just never know. You just never know how or when God will work. And actually, here's the freeing thing. That's not our concern. We're just called to be faithful and pray. Don't give up. Keep praying that that friend or family member or neighbor or work colleague, those that you think there's no way that they'll ever come to Jesus, carry on praying. Carry on praying. That's a word for some of us here this morning. You know, maybe we've lost some of that boldness at City View. And I, and I, I take some responsibility for that. I, I don't know whether I've led you into prayer as much as I should. And I, I, I admit that. You know, we've been busy doing and not enough time praying. It, it's one of the reasons why we, we, we're starting to meet here now first Wednesday of every month coming together to praise and pray uh, we need to be praising and thanking God we need to be interceding for others we need to be praying boldly for lives to be transformed we need to be praying for our leaders we need to be praying for family, friends, neighbours who so need the good news of Jesus to have their lives turned round we need to turn the heat up in this church And the way we do that is by praying. Boldly praying. Praying for anyone and anything. Praying for everyone and everything. Let's get the temperature at this church up into the tropical. I want it to be Hawaii every Sunday we come here. What really heats the church? I'm going to leave you with a story. It's about the great English preacher, Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon, he uh, led a church in London, the Metropolitan Tabernacle, in Victorian England. And that's a, just a picture of it. There were thousands of people that would go to this church. Thousands to hear the great preacher, Charles Spurgeon.
people would be outside. They had no PA system back then, but people would be outside the church and he would just shout and people would hear the word. Thousands would come. Early one Sunday morning, a group of students came in and this bearded guy met, him at the, met them at the door and uh, they said, can we, we just want to have a look around. And so this guy, who they thought was the janitor, said, sure, okay. So, they, so he toured them around, he took them up into the pulpit them up into the, uh, into the galleries there and they were really impressed and they were asking all the questions and then just when they thought the tour was over um, the janitor said um, do you want to come and see what really heats the church and they thought I don't want to go to the furnace room but okay it's been really nice so he takes them down through the corridors right down into the bowels of the church and he opens this door, and in the very bowels of the church, there are a hundred people on their knees praying. And he said, that's what heats the church. And it was Spurgeon who was going there. And he said, I would rather teach one person to pray. This coming Wednesday at 7.30, at 7, sorry, 7, right here, don't come late, right here, we're going to be meeting for prayer. And for most of that time, I, I think we're going to be praising and just praying for the lost, for friends, for family, for mums and dads, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters who do not yet know the Lord. And just as Paul said to Timothy, I urge you to come and spend some time. If there is someone that you know that you're praying for now that does not know the Lord, can you stand up? I'm not going to get you to do anything. I just want you to stand up. Father, would you See these people here. See these people standing on behalf of someone who they desperately want to know you. Lord, they desperately want this person's life to be transformed, to be changed in some way. And that can only happen with you. Father, all those people that are represented now Lord, would you right now touch their lives? Would you somehow, Lord, I don't know where they are, I don't know what they're doing, but Lord, would you just come and just do something in their hearts, soften their hearts slightly? And Lord, would these people here standing see a slight change or an amazing change in that person? Lord, encourage us who are standing to carry on praying for people that don't know you. Lord, encourage us to keep praying for our friends, our family, our enemies, our leaders. 
And Lord, I pray that you would just bring the heat of this church up several degrees.